Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. We're here today with my friend Mark David, and you're about to learn why the calories in, calories out model of weight loss is wrong, and how your thoughts affect your metabolism. We get deep into the mental game on this episode, so I think you're going to dig it. Before we get to it, though, here's a quick note from Shannon, who completed the Wild Diet 30-Day Challenge in the Fat-Burning Tribe and lost 19 pounds. She says, Allison and Abel, thank you for changing my life. I feel so much better and have more energy. I feel like a more pleasant person. I have more confidence and I'm handling stressful situations much better. 30 days in, and I can't wait to see how far I get by 100 days. Danica also writes in and says, Finding this lifestyle has changed my life in just one short month. I've lost 23 pounds and over 14 inches. My work relationships are better. I have so much energy. I even tried racquetball and Zumba for the first time. I started wearing makeup and making cute hairdos. This isn't something I've done in years. Thanks, Abel and Allison. Danica, that might be the first time that someone has linked eating wild to making cute hairdos. I usually can't help with that, but I totally support it. So thank you so much for writing in, sharing your stories. You can always get a hold of me on social media or at fatburningman.com. So do you want to get started living wild and eating this way yourself? It seems like every day there's a new study, article, or paper that just adds to the confusion of conflicting information about health, food, and fitness. So my wife, Allison, and I created a private group called the Fat Burning Tribe to share outrageously tasty wild recipes, fat burning workouts, and done-for-you meal plans all in one place. And right now you can join us for just $1 for your first month. All you have to do is go to fatburningtribe.com today to get your listener discount and also start our next challenge. That's at fatburningtribe.com. And if you are a member, don't forget to ask me your question in our upcoming Q&A video. All right, on to the show with Mark David. You're about to learn why the calories in, calories out model of weight loss is wrong, how thoughts impact nutritional metabolism, what to do before you eat your meal, the impact of pleasure on weight, appetite, digestion, and assimilation, and much, much more. All right, let's go hang out with Mark. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you and Future Greens. Let me ask you something. Did you eat your veggies today? All of them? Believe it or not, fewer than 10% of adults and children in America get their recommended fruits and veggies in daily. That is absolutely atrocious. And many millions of us are suffering from disease, obesity, and ill health as a direct result. So my wife, Allison, and I decided to do something about it. Now you can double your intake of fruits and veggies in less than 60 seconds without the sugar or carbs. We're excited to bring you our new superfood greens powder called Future Greens to make it easy to get organic, nutrient-dense veggies in every day, no matter where you are. Future Greens is packed with vitamins, minerals, and filling prebiotic fiber from whole organic veggies, sprouts, algaes, and berries, including kale, beet, parsley, collard greens, cauliflower sprouts, broccoli sprouts, spirulina, chlorella, blueberries, raspberries, and much more. Since Future Greens is preserved, you can get your greens on even when fresh produce, salads, and smoothies are far out of reach. Future Greens makes getting nutrition easy, and it tastes great if I do say so myself. Future Greens is a smart and convenient source of nutrition for disaster preparedness, road trips, camping, athletics, and more. It travels great in the car, on the plane, or in a spaceship. Just make sure you activate artificial gravity before opening. Basically, it's like vegetables from the future. So if you're looking to increase your energy and health without the crash from caffeine or sugar, meet your new best friend future greens as a listener of fat burning man you can get a 20% discount to try it yourself right now just visit fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get over 20% off when you subscribe and save you'll get our coolest new concoction from wild superfoods called future greens again just head on over to fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get over 20% off your purchase we'll see you there Hi, folks. I'm very happy to be here today with my friend, Mark David. Mark is the founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating and a leading visionary teacher and consultant in nutritional psychology. He also has the best hair of anyone who's ever been on this show. How you doing, Mark? <laughs> Pretty good, Abel. Good to see you, my friend. <laughs> 
Mark, why don't you give people just a brief background into all of this and what it means to be in nutritional psychology and how you got started? Beautiful. Great question. Thank you. My thing is eating psychology. And for me, eating psychology is almost like the missing half of the nutrition equation. So in my DNA, I'm a nutrition fanatic. I love nutrition. It saved my life. I was born asthmatic, allergic, uh, sickly, immunocompromised, almost died a handful of times in infancy. And that drove me to look for answers. You know, I was in the generation of what Fruit Loops Kool-Aid, you know, we were the guinea pigs of, you know, industrialized food. And I'd heard a rumor when I was five years old, believe it or not, that fruits and vegetables were good for you. I don't think I'd ever had one. So I asked, asked my mother to buy me apples and peas and carrots in a can because that was my concept of fruits and vegetables. So anyway, my health changed. That was a revelation for me. And I got on the nutrition is magic track because it is, it's so powerful and it's so personally empowering. And then at some point in my career, you know, I started doing nutritional counseling. I realized that it didn't matter much of the time how much nutrition information I knew because I could tell somebody, somebody smart, somebody motivated, here's what you do, here's what you eat. And they say, great, here's what I'm going to do. And here's what I'm going to eat. And two weeks later, they couldn't do it. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. And, you know, that was my sort of revelatory moment of, oh my goodness, if I don't understand the mind of the eater, the heart and the soul of the eater, what are we thinking? What are we believing? What are we feeling? Then I can't really help anyone. Mm -hmm. So that just put me on my, you know, just sort of lifelong mission of what is eating psychology anyway? What, What is our relationship with food all about? How is it driving us? Yeah. And where do nutrition and psychology intersect? So that's that's kind of what I do and what keeps me up at night and what gets me up in the morning. <laughs> totally. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Because so many people do know the right things to eat. They know that they should move their body. A lot of people just don't do it. So what what is it about eating that makes it so complicated and so hard when the rubber meets the road? You know, it's such a great question, Abel. I think one of the pieces is that our relationship with food inevitably leads us to some interesting places. So here I am saying, okay, I want to eat this or I want to exercise, but I don't do it. You know, there's this field of psychology and it'll have different names. It might be called parts therapy or gestalt, Mm -hmm. where they'll talk about, you're not a person. I'm not a person. We're kind of a crowd. You know, so there's so there's me, the man, but I'm also a son. I'm also a father. I'm also a teacher. I'm also a student. I can be a jerk. I can be a really wise person. So we have all these different characters who tend to live inside of us. And there's been some fascinating research that will show that even in, let's say, a classic, you know, multiple personality disorder patient, when they switch to a different personality their physiologic parameters will change. So every personality, it turns out, has its own metabolic profile, heart rate, blood pressure, galvanic skin response, hormonal picture. So, Right, it's crazy. Yeah. So there's been clinically documented cases where you know a multiple personality patient in one personality, they'll have a citrus allergy such that you eat a fruit, you'll get hives. Mm-hmm. Switch to another personality, the researcher will watch the hives slowly disappear as another personality steps in. So the point is that multiple personality disorder just might be an interesting model mm-hmm. that we are peopled by these different personas. And then any given moment, one tends to be at the head of the table. Yeah. One tends to be calling the shot. So is it so is the person sitting down to the meal? Is it Abel who loves nutrition, loves to feel good in his body and, and, and just loves to explore healthy food? Or is it the kid who like had a bad day and wants to use food to feel better mm-hmm. because I came home and it was a rough day at work? So a lot of times there's a personality that kind of sort of takes over the relationship with food that we're not even aware of. So it's just kind of noticing that and beginning to invoke who you want to sit at the head of the table, if that makes sense. Sure. And then we have so much identity caught up 
in in what we eat. For example, you know, raw vegans. You know, that yeah. that's much bigger than just the food you're eating. It's something you stand for. You know, just one example, but there are a lot of ways of eating now that are kind of like that, but that's as much as it holds promise, it's also a bit of a trap, isn't it? You know, I think the trap is because food is always teaching us we could get so religious about things, Mm -hmm. you know, and we can get religious about food, religious from the standpoint of this is the way it is. This is how it works. You know, I was a vegan for for five years. I was a vegetarian for 11 years. Mm -hmm. And I was that was it for me. Yeah, I had found my deity. And, you know, at some point my health started plummeting. And I woke up one morning and said, oh, my God, I'm craving meat. And, and what a horrible sensation. It took me. It took I experienced me, the exact same thing. Yeah. It took me months to move through my own judgments mm-hmm. and the whole construct that I had built up. So in a lot of ways, I think nutrition and our relationship with it teaches us about flexibility. It teaches us about how the mind can really get locked in, how we can become judgmental, how we, we can become fundamentalist, or we can become more open beings. Hey, okay, that seemed to work. And now it's not. And now what do I do? And now what's next? And if I'm a vegan, how do I pull along some of those, you know, great, maybe political pieces or ethical pieces? How do I integrate it? So it becomes sometimes nutrition brings us into a place of paradox, you know, because in a lot of ways, we don't know what's going on. It's always changing, you know, Mm -hmm. and we share information. Hey, Abel, you know, what are you doing? What are what are you up to? What did you figure out? Like, oh my God, let's try that. Mm-hmm. And and to me, when we bring the explorer, the the true like scientific attitude, then it gets interesting. But it's easy for us to kind of go into battle, you know, yeah. around who's who's got the biggest nutritional system. You right. Know? <laughs> you know, I had uh, our mutual friend Kevin Gianni on the show a few weeks ago, and he talked about. A very similar experience when he went from being raw vegan and well known as one so, so much so that he'd be recognized in Whole Foods and other places where he'd go shopping. But he was craving some sort of different protein, some sort of animal based protein. And so he would get something like 64 ounces of yogurt and then cover it up with kale in his cart. So, so, so no one would notice when they recognized him. And then he'd eat 64 ounces of yogurt every single day because his body was so deficient in, in whatever. Right. But that's one of the, the traps because as much as you might know about nutrition, sometimes you can know a little bit too much such that you're straying into some sort of disordered eating, right? Yeah. Can you ramp on that a little bit? Sure. You know, I love the example that you just gave because here's a person who had a strong construct, a strong ethic, a strong belief system, and then put that into action. I'm going to eat a certain way. And, And oftentimes, we identify ourselves as how we eat. You know, when cultural anthropologists go and study primitive cultures, a lot of primitive cultures will talk about each other. Primitive tribes, like in Africa, mm-hmm. will name each other by what they eat, you know, and how they eat different. So it's one of the ways we identify. So anyway, here's his identity of how he eats, but then, wow, the body is saying something different. There's this whole other kind of feedback loop. There's this consciousness, there's this intelligence that's saying, oh my God, I need yogurt. And it's driving him in this beautiful way. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to hide this. I'm going to put it in the shopping cart under the kale. No one's going to see me. I'm going to be safe. And, but it's almost like our nutritional survival brain takes over. Body wisdom takes over. I think, you know, there's so many different kinds of intelligences that humans have. And we've generally been deluded to believe that the only real intelligence is the kind you measure with an IQ point, which is a very logical, linear intelligence. But what about people who have intelligence where they know how to be with animals? Mm -hmm. Or what about people who have emotional intelligence or spiritual intelligence, whatever it is, musical intelligence? Humans, I think, naturally have a body-based wisdom. And it gets sort of, it gets pulled out of us. It gets enculturated out of us. And sometimes I'll be talking to somebody, you know, if they're eating a bunch of junk food, it's less that I'm in judgment and more that I'm thinking, how can you not feel that in your body? (laughs) Yeah. 
How can you not see what I'm seeing, how it's affecting you? Mm -hmm. How can you not feel that? Because I think in many ways, culture, world, society kind of teaches us to ignore that because, you know, you got things to do. Just just go eat the food Mm -hmm. and, and make stuff happen, you know, fuel your body. Body just needs a bunch of fuel. I, I think the predominant archetype in terms of how we look at food, particularly in the industrialized world, particularly in the United States, mm-hmm. we see food as fuel, you know, right. kind of like you, you put it in your car. So then you're not going to be as concerned about the ingredients. Just just put in the fuel. Yeah. And as long as I could tank up and I, oh, I have energy now, so it seems, then we're okay. So anyway, it's for me the takeaway there is when do we start listening to the body mm-hmm. and what does that even mean really yeah. so how do you eat then how do you how do you build that intuition and f- know that you're following the right thing you know i have a certain trust I think, Abel, there's a lot of people who don't trust their own body. Mm-hmm. They don't trust their life. They don't trust their mind. You and I, we can we can get online right now and read so much brilliant information about a paleo diet, about an ancestral diet, about a vegan diet, a vegetarian diet, a Mediterranean diet, you name it. And they all have brilliant proof and fascinating case studies and great mm-hmm. stories. And this person healed cancer. And they're all right. And they're all wrong. Mm-hmm. And it depends. So... To my mind, I want to come from a, from a spectrum of nutrition. I want to respect that anything is possible, <laughs> really, yeah. Yeah. in terms of what can work. In, and I think we're still evolving, mm-hmm. you know? It, it's not that evolution stopped and, okay, here we are. Congrats, buddy, we made it. We're the best <laughs> monkeys, you know? And really, life is still changing. Culture is still changing. The environment is still changing. So when I'm eating... I'm eating from that perspective. I'm asking myself the question, what is going to help me elevate? What's going to help me evolve? Not only as a metabolic being, yeah, Mm -hmm. okay, I want to live long, I want to be healthy, sure, but I don't want to live long and be healthy and be a jerk. I don't want to live long and be healthy and not expand myself and Mm -hmm. not grow and be bored for the next 150 years, yeah. you know? So how can food and nutrition support me on that more subtle level? And, and can it, is it possible? So I'm asking those questions and then I'm listening for my body. What is it drawn to? What's it attracted to? Mm-hmm. And I think if we follow that wisdom, it's, it's the wisdom that created us, yeah. you know, which is so smarter than us. If I'm following that wisdom, I think the clues are forthcoming. Oh, I'm drawn to that. Wow, I have an attraction for that food. Let me try it. Let me eat it. How do I feel? How did you feel when you did that diet? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. So, so to me, it becomes less about what do I eat and more about this more collective conversation of, hey, what's working? And hey, I tried this mm-hmm. and I went to this mountaintop. Listen to what I found. What do you think? That to me is a way more interesting conversation. <laughs> and you almost, you almost have to follow something until it doesn't work anymore, don't you, to, to realize right? that. That's not the answer. You know, for example, for me, I love experimenting with different types of exercise. You know, I've done everything from marathons to sprints. I've always loved running, competitive mountain biking, stuff like that. Also eating super low carb, ketogenic at some points, and also going higher carb, like experimenting with starches. And it's, it's so interesting what happens over the course of a few weeks when you start combining different things with each other. You're like, wow. That did not yeah. work at all, you know, or yeah. intermittent fasting is another thing that uh, that I love experimenting with, especially considering when we're out in nature, you know, because we'll mm-hmm. we'll typically be hiking all day. We're not really br- making camp and cooking. So we're just kind of using we're, we're doing mostly fasting during the day or just having small snacks and then eating at night. But you push that too far. You do things like that too long. And all of a sudden it comes crashing down, just like anything does when you push it too far. And all of a sudden you're eating 64 ounces of yogurt underneath your kale every day so how do you balance that in a healthy way and how do you accept that at some point you might be wrong you might need to shift gears a little bit 
I think, you know, great question. I think in in food as in life, you know, things change and nothing stays forever, whether it's, you know, our personality, whether it's our friends, whether it's our partners, whether it's our loved ones, we change. And life is always bringing us new expression that is unexpected. So I'm accustomed to that already. I know things are going to look different in every way, shape or form, most likely two years from now in my life. So why shouldn't it be different with food? So can we welcome that? See, Abel, I think what it is, is, is humans love certainty, yeah, you know, right. just give it to me, man. Tell me what to eat. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to exercise. And then I'm never going to have to even think about that for the rest of my life. Yeah. Woo. Thanks. <laughs> and, and then I eat the same thing for the rest of my life. You know, you're going to get bored. Chances mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you didn't, we have to look at this need to have an absolute, this need to know. Certainty makes us comfortable, but certainty, when we can't live with uncertainty, it often has us, I think, dumbed down a little bit because then we're going to naturally do what's safe or do what we know, even when it's not working. Because novelty for humans can be scary. Like, oh my God, you mean I have to eat different? You mean these foods that have been my staple foods forever? They, you know, sugar might not be so good for me or right. I shouldn't be drinking this much caffeine every day. Oh my goodness. So we want our routine. We want our certainty. And to me, from that place, food and our relationship with it is teaching us, you know, mm-hmm. can you be flexible, not only as a human being, you know, what do they say in Taoism? Rigidity is, is death, flexibility mm-hmm. and suppleness is life. You know, okay, be flexible and supple in your body, but for goodness sakes, I think we have to be in our minds nutritionally supple and flexible mm-hmm. because that's how, you know, the ones that came before us did it. You had to be able to turn on a dime. If there was climate change, if your food source got cut off, you know, Mm -hmm. humans could eat just about anything. We're like cockroaches and sharks and rats in that way. (laughs) Those guys eat anything, you know, (laughs) and they're the most successful creatures from an evolutionary standpoint, from the perspective that they haven't changed much. You go back millions of years, a shark is still a shark in the fossil record because they could eat anything. Yeah. You know, they don't have to worry about their food source. Humans are a little similar, but I think we're kind of hitting the point where where we kind of have to clean up our nutritional act on a more global level. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's that's a good segue into talking about where nutrition is going, because I think there's it's it's been fascinating to see the past five or so years as I've gotten into this and, and, and done it full time to see how much more attention there is about what people are eating and and what's taking off and and hopefully, you know, guiding people back to the way that we used to be eating, which is outside of this industrial big food complex. So where do you think nutrition is going? What what excites you about what's happening? I so want to answer that question, but let me take like 30 seconds, if I can, to say where we've come from. You know, where has nutrition been? Just 30 seconds of history. Back in the colonial times, the pervasive wisdom, the reigning wisdom about nutrition was that food was all this one universal element. It was just a food stuff. It wasn't different to the colonial mind. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we started realizing, oh my goodness, there's protein. There's fat, there's carbohydrate, there's these big macronutrients. And then we started getting more specific and more elegant. You know, we get the microscope, we dive down, we develop chemistry, and then we start to look at micronutrition. Wow, we can look at vitamins now and minerals. So, and then we discover these ancillary nutrients. We start talking about CoQ10 and like, wow. And in a way, nutrition science has been about filling in the agenda of the chemical blanks, meaning, okay, we just have to keep discovering more chemistry, mm-hmm. more things that are circulating in the cells. And we have to learn about vitamins and minerals even better. So it's sort of this additive science where we have to keep discovering more nutrients and then write the next book on the next miracle nutrient. <laughs> yeah. that That's fine. That's interesting. I think from that place where we're going is almost like we're bifurcating a little bit. 
And the bifurcation on the one hand, I think is in part nutrition haves and have nots, (laughs) meaning you and I have access to information. Why? We can read, we can write, we can get on the internet. You have money to buy good food. You have the wherewithal to experiment, like you try different things. There's another segment of the human population that is just in survival. They don't have time to figure out that nonsense, you know, and I just got to go to work. I just got to feed myself, you know, and oh my God, I can get a happy meal at McDonald's for a dollar. Of course, I'm going to eat that, you know? So I think the part of us that's bifurcating and really studying nutrition and really going, wow, what is possible here? That tends to be where the excitement is, Mm -hmm. you know, that tends to be where the action is. And I think in part, in the near term, I think we have to look at nutrition from a very strong immunoprotective perspective. Sure. Because you and I, wow, we are living in a world right now that is under assault. We Mm -hmm. are under electrochemical assault. We are under assault from poor quality food, from a sick environment, a sick food chain. And we are facing an immune challenge that none of our ancestors have ever faced. Right. You know, I would much rather be dealing with the lion, quite frankly, <laughs> than <laughs> picking up a newspaper and knowing I'm going to absorb about 100 chemicals that sure. didn't exist 40 years ago. So I think we really have to up our game. The collective we, we have to up our game in really respecting nutrition in a whole different way Mm -hmm. and really using it targeted. How do I need this? So, okay, wow, our gut, our collective gut has been compromised. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden, wow, there's all this research excitement about the gut microbiome in part because we need it. We're walking around with sick guts for decades now because of antibiotic use and poor quality food. So all of a sudden the gut microbiome, yes, it's this, it's this great new understanding that so many people have known about for the long, longest time. And you know, it takes science a little while, it takes the research community a little, little time to catch up, you know, (laughs) but the point is, We have to be very, I think, pragmatic. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about intermittent fasting. Okay, you know, I look at it like a nutrition technique, like a a great nutrition experiment. Mm -hmm. Let's try this because I'm trying to have better energy because I live in a world that has a whole different level of stress and type of stress than my parents or my grandparents had. Mm So we have to be a little quicker on our feet. We have to know how to cleanse and detox the nonsense of the world. And then we have to know how to strengthen us so you can go out there and do your good work. Yeah. You know, how do you do that nutritionally? Right. So immunoprotective, gut expansive and protective. It's, it's to me, those are the big pieces. And also, how do I use nutrition? To me, that's where I also think it's going to really start to elevate my brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think we got to get smarter yeah. and we have to look at a, what, what makes us smarter in terms of nutrition, in terms of supplements and what dumbs us down. Right. Oh, Harvard study is looking at fluoride content in water and noticing that children who are exposed to more fluoride in the water have a lower IQ that came out of Harvard for God's sake. Yeah. That the fluoridation is literally dumbing us down. So I think, okay, water filter time. So that's an immune movement. I'm looking to protect myself against a harmful substance. But at the same time, I'm looking to evolve myself. Oh, so what kind of water should I choose? Huh? Should I filter it this way? Should I find a natural spring water? Oh, let me experiment with both. So I think it's going to a very individualized place at the same time. And we're Mm -hmm. starting to see that there's more and more science that can dive into our chemistry, dive into our DNA and go, oh, here's your picture. Here's your makeup. Here's where you have a little bit of challenge in your metabolic pathway. So we're going to give you this supplement or point you towards those foods. So that to me is kind of fascinating, but I think it's all going to still point to body-based intelligence. Yeah. Because you and I are going to read books, but, you know, which expert are you going to listen to? Sure. You might, you might have a plumbing issue in your house. You might not be able to fix the plumbing yourself, but you're smart enough to interview three people, get an estimate, 
and then choose. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have to learn to empower ourselves to do around health is to kind of be the general manager of our health. Yeah. Because we kind of gave that to doctors long ago, right. but they really, the medical profession is really not interested in that. They're, they're more interested in kind of fixing you when you come in, right. as opposed to being that general manager of your health journey. So I have to do that for me. We have to do that for ourselves. People have to maybe do that for each other, your partner, your loved one, your kids, your friends. And you brought up something that I want to emphasize a little bit, Mark, which is respect, right? Mm -hmm. When it comes to your own body, you need to respect what you're eating. You need to respect that you need something more than fuel. And you also brought up the point of, (laughs) it sounds like there's this dichotomy between basically eating for damage control, right? Or, or drinking mm-hmm. with water, for example, with damage control, or on the on the flip side, treating water or food as a nutrient, going to the freshest spring and, and seeing what that tastes like. And they're two fundamental, fundamentally different things. But I think the common thread between the people who are the healthiest is that they they really veer over to the side of this is going to nourish my body. I'm not eating damage control food. I'm not drinking damage control water. I'm going for the best quality stuff I can find and afford. And I think that that's something that uh, is, is so important to realize that you can start doing that right now as long as you respect your own body and you respect that, it's, that it should be one of the highest priorities in your life. Yeah, it's it's such a beautiful way to put it. Respecting my body is also respecting the life that we're given. Yeah. You know, like this is our shot. You know, who knows what happens beyond the body? We don't know for 100% sure, but we're clear that while we're here, we're alive and the biological spacesuit matters. And I think that place of respect or humility in its own way is a metabolic enhancer Mm -hmm. in its own way, you know, furthers the action of who we are, because I'm just thinking when I'm in a state of trust, when I'm in a state of humility, I'm relaxed more. Mm -hmm. And when humans are in a relaxation response, when we're in physiologic relaxation response, also called parasympathetic nervous system dominance, it just so happens that that is the optimum state of digestion and assimilation and natural appetite regulation and day in, day out calorie burning. So one of the challenges is, you know, at the same time, yeah, we we must look at the foods to eat for sure. Mm -hmm. And we also have to look at what is, what am I doing with the body such that is it able to fully receive that food? So I could be eating the healthiest food in the universe, but if I take that healthy plate of food and I'm freaked and I'm stressed when I eat it and I'm hating my life, Mm -hmm. I'm disrespecting my body, I'm disrespecting the world, I'm creating tension, I'm creating fear, I'm creating judgment. Mm -hmm. That creates stress chemistry. That creates sympathetic nervous system activation. That's going to pull the body away from digestive capacity, away Mm -hmm. from assimilative capacity. So I think there's this place where we also have to start to see that we are so powerful in terms of the mind Mm -hmm. and in terms of how the mind is influencing body chemistry. We know the connections, but a lot of times I think as humans, we want to sweep it under the rug and not really look at, oh, okay, well, I'm eating the right food, but I'm eating the right food because I'm so afraid of getting sick. I'm so afraid of getting ill. And I don't know that that's the best nutritional state. In fact, I don't think it is at all. So what are some things that you can do? Say you're, uh, you're about to eat lunch or dinner tonight. You're coming up to the table. Are there simple exercises that you have people do to make sure they're eating in the right headspace? Oh, it's so simple. It's almost embarrassing. <laughs> you know, really, it's always bringing in awareness, asking the question, okay, am I about to eat in a relaxed state or am I eating in the ideal state? Mm-hmm. Understanding, knowing that you are in your optimum state when you are in a place of relaxation. So if I just ask that question, it's a simple question. We know if we're stressed or relaxed. We Mm -hmm. know if we're anxious and rushed. Mm -hmm. So if the answer is yes, I am, five to ten long, slow, deep breaths, which takes less than a minute, which you could do it silently with your eyes closed. You could do it with your eyes open. If you're sitting with a bunch of people, you know, in a New York City restaurant, they're not going to notice anyway that you're deep breathing Mm -hmm. because they're probably busy talking. So anyway, shoveling food in their mouths. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) 
So anytime we adopt the breathing pattern of a particular brain state, we will, we will move towards that brain state. So even if I'm in a stress response, my breathing is shallow, arrhythmic, infrequent. Mm-hmm. When you simply adopt the breathing pattern of relaxation, regular, rhythmic, deep, less than a minute, you fool the body, literally, to thinking you're in a relaxation response. And the body will create relaxation chemistry. Mm-hmm. And you literally will change digestive capacity in a short period of time. Another way to relax the body is to focus on sensation, mm-hmm. you know, meaning right now, if you're really stressed out and I said, well, Abel, you know, just look out the window and just like f- focus on the sun for a minute, focus on the clouds, just look at the sky or just listen to the sounds you hear outside focusing on a sensation, especially if it's a more natural one, mm-hmm. will relax the body in less than a minute. Yeah, it just happens. So if I choose to, uh, yeah, you can focus on looking out the window, but you could also focus on the food. You can focus on on the color, on the beauty, on the taste, on the aroma, on the feel, on the eating experience. When you focus on that, once again, sensation pulls us in. The body enjoys sensation Mm -hmm. and enjoys the senses and it gets curious with itself. And it will relax itself so it can pay attention to that. So it's this beautiful thing where the benefit of that is all of a sudden you're enjoying your food. Yeah. All of a sudden you're in more pleasure. And we tend to look at pleasure as this frivolous nonsense thing that maybe you have it and it's fun. But pleasure is a literal metabolic enhancer. Pleasure by itself will catalyze a relaxation response. Mm-hmm. And remember, we said relaxation response, that's the optimum state, digestion, assimilation, day in, day out calorie burn when you're hanging out resting. Pleasure, well, it's, it's sort of like bad day at work, all tense, all stress, come home, wife gives you a shoulder rub, you go, ah, you relax. Why? Mm-hmm. Pleasure signals the body, hey, Abel, there's not a lion chasing you because lions don't massage you. Yeah. This is your wife. This feels good. Relaxation, safe. Optimum state of digestion and assimilation. So anytime we are pleasuring the system, whether it's through taste, whether it's through touch, whether it's through the music you're listening to, the company you're keeping, you're regulating not just your sort of emotional and social metabolism, you're regulating your nutritional metabolism. Yeah. I love that. Now, where does gratitude play into that? Because going back in time, you know, especially even my own life, when I didn't really have any money at all, I was so thankful just to have food there. And I think as humans, that's a more natural state for us to be in where you're like, oh, thank God there is food in front of me and I can eat it. But I think in today's society, you know, when you can get the worst food possible for almost nothing and it's right there all the time, we kind of skip that step, but I think that really amps up the pleasure a lot. So what's your take on gratitude? You know, gratitude in a strange way requires a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. It requires pause. So if I'm being chased by the wolves, I don't have time to be grateful. I just have time, maybe one to two minutes to make something happen. Mm -hmm. So part of it is we move so fast in this world. We are taught to move fast. Our video games are fast. Our our music videos are fast. Life is fast. Cars are fast. Internet speed is fast. So we're falling in love with fast and consequently we tend to miss the nuances of food. Mm -hmm. We miss the nuances of nutrition, of the body. We might miss the nuances of our relationship and and our connections with people and with nature. And gratitude essentially has us slowing down and taking stock. So right there, we are doing the same physiologic event. A lot of times I will just boil things down to Is it creating stress chemistry or relaxation chemistry? Because from that place, we are literally a different human being, depending on which which chemistry you're in, in terms of body and mind. When I'm in gratitude, I'm in a profound relaxation response because I'm okay, even though I... I might have nothing, and in that moment I'm feeling grateful, there is a moment of I am safe. Mm -hmm. And when we have that moment of safety, we can relax. And when you can relax, the part of our brain, higher cortical function, the executive function of our brain, 
steps into place, it comes alive. The yeah. part of us that that creates, the part of us that sort of channels, that has intuition, that brings down a bigger wisdom and a bigger intelligence, that part takes over when I'm relaxed, when I'm grateful, when I'm aware of my environment. So gratitude to me is almost this thing that it's a practice of being in relationship with the universe and the world that has as this strange benefit, it impacts our physiology, mm-hmm. which opens up the body to digest and assimilate and opens up the mind yeah. to really explore and, and see what the world really is. Mm-hmm. I love it. Did I answer your question? You, you did. You absolutely did. <laughs> now, uh, we're coming up on time, but I want to make sure we, we cover this too, because I'd love your perspective on why the calories in calories out model is outdated when it comes to nutrition. Oh my goodness. I bang my head against the wall with this one. It annoys the bejesus out of me. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. So yes, there is obviously a degree to which human beings are an input-output calorie machine, and there will be for a segment of human beings, I don't know what that segment is, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's Mm -hmm. not as high as we think, just in terms of what I've noticed, that, yeah, you can take a lot of people and you can put them on a 1,200-calorie diet and you can have them exercising their brains out and they don't lose any weight. Yeah, You can take people, I've seen this so many times, people will go on a medical fast, done at a hospital, Mm -hmm. and they will eat virtually nothing for a week and they'll gain two pounds. So something else is going on. If there's one case of that, then that deserves our attention. Right. So, you know, as we are learning now, as we are starting to see now, certainly through clinical observation, but also through the research that's beginning to come out, calorie burning metabolism will be affected by macronutrient balance, mm-hmm. plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Calorie burning capacity will be impacted simply by your hormonal picture. Okay, so if I'm a man, if I'm low in testosterone, low in growth hormone, that's going to impact how I'm calorie burning. If I'm too high in estrogen, that's going to impact how I'm calorie burning. Mm-hmm. Low in thyroid, that's going to impact how I'm calorie burning. If my liver is having any sort of dysregulation, that can impact calorie burning. We now have studies that show that if your gut microbiome, all the little bacteria is floating around in there, if they're compromised, Mm -hmm. that can impact weight gain regardless. Meal timing, okay? The body metabolizes food differently at different times a day. We've known this for decades. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a 2,000 calorie diet only eaten at one meal at dinner will cause people to gain weight. You take the same group of people, put them on the same exact 2,000 calorie diet, they can only eat at breakfast, they're all gonna lose weight. Mm-hmm. So the point is there's nuances here. Yeah. And it behooves us to pay attention to the nuances because somebody over here might need to lose weight by eating less and exercising more. Fine, great. Somebody over here might need better macronutrient balance, might need high quality food. Great, let's look at that. Somebody over here might need better meal timing. Yeah. Simply, if you're overstressed and you cannot get out of a locked-in stress response because of my husband, my wife, my kids, my this, my that, that stress chemistry, that increased cortisol, increased insulin, that by itself yeah. can increase, you know, I call it non-caloric weight gain. It'll, it'll stimulate the body to gain weight right. despite a meager amount of calories that you might be eating. Mm-hmm. So to me... I just want to explore that. I want to study that. I want to watch that. I want to pay attention to it because we we have such, um, we've, I think, kind of hit a wall collectively around this thing called weight. Yeah. Our strategies collectively don't really work so well. So I'm into asking the question, what does work? What's possible? Yeah. And one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest mistakes we make, I think, is assuming that it's as simple as, well, I just need to eat fewer calories that are printed on a box or I need to exercise more. And then that leads into this whole other thing where I got burned in my early 20s. One of the reasons I got fat and sick is because I was you know, reading all those running magazines and I was reading all the articles that were saying that I needed to have all of this Gatorade and all of this glucose and all this other junk right. because Michael Jordan has it, right? And like all these yeah. other people who are exercising, there's a huge difference between exercising eight hours every single day and being seven feet tall and being a normal person who's trying to be healthy. And I think right. that the mm-hmm. story that we're sold is is distanced from the reality of our own bodies and the way that we should be eating, how we should be moving. 
Well, that's such an important point, I think, Abel, which is the story we're being sold, which another way to say that is the kind of advertising that tends to come into our nervous system. And oftentimes it's the companies behind that advertising who I'm sorry to say, and and I've worked for these companies. I've Mm -hmm. been the bad guy. You know, I've taken money from them and it's a numbers game for them. You know, they want to sell the most amount of breakfast cereal. They want to sell the most amount of, of really just cheap quality product for the biggest profit and your health doesn't really matter oh you're getting fat eat less and exercise more yeah (laughs) oh okay it's my fault (laughs) thanks for that i'm a willpower weakling actually no you're not a willpower weakling you've just been eating like this since you've been in the womb for goodness sakes then you came out of the womb and this is what you were fed and yeah okay now we got some work to do now we have some catching up to do so it's super important and and that's why again getting back to being a nutritional explorer there was something in you that was willing to go huh this doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. What else? So it's that inquisitive mind, which is no different than an, if, if you and I were creatures in the jungle trying to survive, like, hey, what can we eat? Yeah. And what else can we eat? And what else? And wow, what makes you feel better? So, so we're learning how to evolve. Yeah. And it takes a willingness, I think. And, and once again, it takes an interest in that and a passion for that. And you know, that's what gets guys like us excited because, mm-hmm. because we know the possibilities. We've seen our own bodies transform. We've seen our lives transformed. And you also notice the more and more subtle distinctions as you make one little shift in your diet, you can reach a point where, wow, that made a big difference for yeah. me. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Well, Mark, yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been so much fun. Before we go, why don't you tell folks where they can find you, what you're working on and all that jazz. All right. Thank you. So Institute for the Psychology of Eating, that's the name of our company. Psychologyofeating.com is the name of the website. Tons of free stuff, tons of free materials, the usual videos, blogs. We have a great free video series on dynamic eating psychology. That's sort of the field I originate in. It really boils down, you know, how the mind works, what drives our habits, overeating, binge eating, emotional eating, all that sort of thing. So, so that's a great way to get in the system, get some free teaching and free learning, We got a great program for the public, Transform Your Relationship with Food. We have a great program for professionals where we train them in how to be eating psychology coaches, eating psychology coach certification training. That's what we got. There's there's lots more, but but just go to psychologyofeating.com and dive into that world. You'll see. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mark, I, I love what you're doing. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. You're welcome back anytime. Abel, thank you so much. Thanks for doing what you do. And and thanks for really, you know, you consistently push the conversation around health and nutrition and and really personal growth. And I I think really given the field a boost of inspiration. So, So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you and Future Greens. You want my number one health tip right now? Get your greens in every single day. I've been getting my greens on every day for coming up on, well, almost every day, let's be honest, for coming up on almost 10 years now, and I believe it makes a monumental difference to my health, performance, and overall well-being. Why? Well, most of us eat too many acidic foods like meat, dairy, or sugar and other junk carbs, leading to an unbalanced pH level in the body and more than our fair share of toxins. I don't know if you've ever tried greens supplements, but most of them taste terrible, like fish tank. And if it doesn't taste good, I won't drink it, no matter how good it is for me, especially if you're talking every day. There are tons of supplements out there packed with cheap fats, sugar, fillers, and caffeine, but we have a much better option if you're looking to increase your energy and your health. So when Allison and I are on the road, we always take Future Greens. Future Greens is a concentrated superfood powder made from 15 organic fruits and vegetables, plus six additional superfoods, as well as digestive enzymes. So in less than 60 seconds, you can get the nutrition of over 20 fruits, veggies, and adaptogens, all with less than one gram of sugar. Future Greens is packed with vitamins, minerals, and filling prebiotic fiber from whole, organic veggies, sprouts, algaes, and berries, including kale, 
beet, parsley, collard greens, cauliflower sprouts, broccoli sprouts, spirulina, chlorella, blueberries, raspberries, and much more. Imagine the time and expense it would take you to buy and prepare all those foods separately. Trust us, we've tried, and Future Greens makes it a heck of a lot easier. Our ingredients are harvested at peak freshness and potency and immediately concentrated and dried using cool temperature processes that preserve the energetic and nutritional integrity of all the ingredients. Whether you're looking to strengthen your immunity, cleanse your system of toxins, alkalize your body, diversify your diet, or boost your energy without caffeine, Future Greens is your new best friend. And as a listener of Fat Burning Man, you can get a 20% discount to try Future Greens yourself. So to get Future Greens from Wild Superfoods and your special Fat Burning Man deal, just visit fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get 20% off when you subscribe and save. On top of that, you'll get an extra bonus that I can't even tell you about right now, but just visit fatburningman.com forward slash greens. We'll see you there. Thanks again for listening to Fat Burning Man. Don't forget, before you go, check out fatburningtribe.com. If you have a question for me that you want answered about how to improve your performance, what to eat for dinner, how to drop fat quickly, how to improve your overall health, or anything else, we answer all of your questions there. So quickly, you can get the first month for just $1 for a limited time. Check it out at fatburningtribe.com. All right, I'll see you there. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fat Burning Man. If you liked it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, the podcast app, or wherever else you might be listening to or watching this show. Got a second? Please leave me a quick review on iTunes. I always love hearing from you. And if you think someone else might like and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or with a family member. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at FatBurnMan and Facebook by typing in Abel James or FatBurningMan. Drop me a line anytime. Did you know that I've recorded over 150 episodes of Fat Burning Man, winning four awards in independent media and hitting number one in more than eight countries? And here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode for free. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. I'll give you a second to type it in, fatburningman.com. And you'll get all the show notes in video and audio versions for all the past episodes of Fat Burning Man. Better yet, enter your best email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide to start burning fat right now and a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free fat burning download straight to your inbox and make sure that you never miss a show again. This is Abel James signing off. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.